house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. and Amanda are in exactly the same place. Where do I want to go by myself? Depressed at Christmas. Just 6,000 miles apart. Home exchange. We switch houses, cars, everything. Bingo. I need you to answer this. Are there any men in your town? <laughs> Perfect. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Bus podcast, the only podcast that's more comfortable when wet saltwater specifically. Uh, every week on this Hat Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my house swappers, Oscar-winning neighbor, Joe <laughs> Reed. Hello! They don't make them like they used to anymore. I wrote the kid of... <laughs> he is looking at you, kid! That's a that is a great little touch actually. I think this is a movie where I'm we're I think we're going to be able to sort of like pick apart certain things of it, but it has a lot of little moments that work and I think a bigger I think the bigger picture of it for me also works and I'll be interested to see if you agree with me or not. I think it's kind of a square peg in a round hole movie that I do actually enjoy. Love you bringing out the terminology of the movie to describe the movie. That's very good. Wait, what? That's how Kate Winslet and uh and Rufus Sewell talked about how their uh their relationship didn't work, right? The square peg in the I round see. hole metaphor? I maybe just black out when Rufus Sewell shows up because it's not the best parts of the movie. It's not. But sure. But sure. I will also say this movie, among its many, I would say, virtues, it has a good eye for casting. And I think casting Rufus Sewell and Edward Burns as the British and American versions of Bad Boyfriends is a really good yes, idea. Yes, I, I, I just kind of made a face, but the point you are making, yes, I absolutely agree. I think one of my issues with this movie that we'll definitely get into, because we have a lot to talk about with the cast... I think like maybe everyone is miscast in this movie, but oh, like I still enjoy everyone in this movie. Fascinating. Would love. All right, I'm excited to talk about that uh, almost more than anything. I also feel like Shannon Sossaman is also well cast as uh, the not right girlfriend. Shannon Sossaman. I fully did the Leo pointing at the TV moment the second she showed up. Forgot Shannon Sossaman was in this movie. Yep. Shannon Sossaman doesn't speak in this movie, except for, like, when she and Jack Black are finally having the, like, breakup. But, yes. like, she's talking while there's score happening. So it's not like she's right. talking. Poor Shannon Sossaman. Yeah, she's definitely, I mean, she's she's cast aside in this movie. There's a lot of actually small roles in this movie that, I mean, the, the fact there that- There are quite a bit. Catherine Hahn I was also going to say about Shannon Sossaman, yeah. if you ever do a movie spelling bee again, Shannon Sossaman is perfect for movie spelling bee. I believe she was part of the first one I did, or one of them. Like, definitely, yes, because she she's a challenge and a very fun one. 
I'm fixing our outline because I spelled it as Shanny Sossaman. Which is Good a fun- old Shanny. Maybe that's what she goes by to close friends. It's Shanny. Is Shanny coming out tonight? Yeah. Like she, uh, she, uh, when she met Jack Black on set, she shook his hand and said, hi, I'm Shanny. <laughs> and Shanny can't come out because she's at home babysitting. Is hers audio science? No. Pilot inspector? What? One of the, one what? of, she's one of the moms of, of weird kid names. Hold on a second. I'm going to look this up. Oh no. Yeah. Which one is Jason Lee's kid? Is that pilot inspector? Maybe. Hold on. We're going to figure this one out together. As a as a group, um, come on, cast list. Let's get casting. Pilot inspector. That is we see again. Like I'm back to the games. Like you need to use this for trivia. Yes. Okay. Um, why is Wikipedia being a bitch about this? Like Jesus Christ. Let's just use our good old friend Google. We yeah. can cut this out. Yeah. Pilot inspector child. Yes, Jason Lee is pilot inspector. Yeah, Shannon Sossaman's kid is audio science. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Uh, Frank uh, uh, Frank Zappa apparently has, you know, a child that is my drag name, which is Diva Muffin. <laughs> Wait, Frank Zappa, in addition to have a, having a daughter named Moon Unit, has a, a, a child named Diva Muffin? Hold on. Let me see if I'm reading this correctly. I love that. Diva Muffin is also my uh, the bakery that I'm going to uh, open when I retire. <laughs> yeah, Diva Muffin Zappa. Look at that. Youngest Fantastic. child of Frank Zappa. Okay, yeah. Related to Moon Unit Zappa and Dweezil, of course, Zappa. Um, the one who married Lisa Loeb for a time, I want to say, didn't he? Or was just in a relationship with Lisa Loeb? I believe that's I guess. true. Yeah. Yes. They were together because they had like a Food Network show together, if you recall, which you probably don't, but that's fine. Yes. Um, wow. Shannon Sossman really sent All this down to the say, you hole. shouldn't make fun of people's names, but I would like to be ma- named Diva Muffin. I'm fine with making fun of some people's names. It's fine. Um, I'll make fun of Diva Muffin. Joe Reed, like, read a book. Listen, I got it. Other people will get it, too, all right? I have to put up with shit. <laughs> I had to put Everybody up with... Everybody gets made fun of on the playground for a name, unless it's, like, Diva Muffin, and then they're like, <laughs> honestly, work. <laughs> I had to put up with so many goddamn Jimi Hendrix, Hey Joe, like, uh, jokes what? or whatever. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix has a song called Hey Joe, and so that's... Listen, when you have a boring name, you get boring jokes made about your name, all right? So it's fine. Anyway. Listen, my name was always mispronounced as feel or fail, so I got that. But mostly I just got, like, hey, gay boy. <laughs> that that did that worked for most people. Wow, you got the Megan Stelter treatment. Okay, that's, that's fun. I did. <laughs> I did. Hey, gay. All right. The holiday. No, gay boy. No, like, I know. I'm making... Someone calling you gay is just one thing, but they would call you gay boy. Like, it's one word, not even a hyphenate. Well, that's fun. Listen, I could have figured out a lot of stuff a lot sooner if that would happen to me. So you know what? You know what? Imagine two men okay. talking about a Nancy Myers movie. Yes. They're gonna be gay boys, probably. Yeah, this feels this feels uh this feels right. This feels good and right. This is our first Nancy Myers movie that we're talking about. No, it's our second. No, it's our second. Holy shit, I didn't even think about that. One yes. of our first movies. God. Were we ever so young as when we talked about it's complicated? On this podcast. Um, so it's our return to Nancy at long last. 
And it's our Christmas episode. It is. Because Merry Christmas. And also, Merry this Christmas, movie no. is called The Holiday. It encompasses Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's celebrations. So truly, uh, it's got everything for everybody, which I love. This is a movie that's kind of maligned in the Nancy Myers sort of filmography a little bit, because it comes after Something's Gotta Give, which was such a big success. And because Diane Keaton got an Oscar nomination from that, that's why The mm-hmm. Holiday had Oscar buzz, because you follow up a Diane Keaton Oscar nomination with a movie starring Kate Winslet and Jude Law, and all of a sudden you've got your eye on, you know, some Oscars. Maybe even Cameron it Diaz. Does... Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, it does feel like an appendix to something's gotta give right like you know it's like here's all here's a movie that references all of the things that like kind of inspires the you know romantic comedy slight screwballness yes of something's gotta give and i mean like there's a decent amount of time between those two movies a couple years yeah but like I don't know. It does. It, it, it feels like in its shadow in several, you know, different ways. For as much as I think people tend to sort of write autobiography onto a lot of Nancy Myers' stuff, certainly in Something's Gotta Give with the idea of being sort of single at an older age and, uh, and, and it, it's complicated, obviously, is like a lot to do with the end of a marriage and sort of staying in your ex's life and that kind of a thing. The holiday feels least like that and more like somebody sort of imagining, if not imagining for like themselves, like imagining a situation for these kind of fictional people, but it's situated within a world that like clearly Nancy Myers knows, like obviously all the stuff about the fact that there are two sort of runners about very specific movie industry stuff, one being movie trailers and another being movie scores, which, like, both appeal to me and I'm sure to you, like, very specifically. Um, This is a movie very much made by somebody who's been in Hollywood long enough that this is just sort of, this is what they know. And I'm fine with that. I'm I'm happy with that. But I think with the characters, this feels like Nancy's sort of stepping out of herself a little bit, which I like. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I still think that there's there's like the literal like Hollywoodness of it. There's also like this metatextual thing where it feels like she's kind of grappling with the romantic comedy and like what it has been historically yeah. in Hollywood and like what is it like now as like basically the genre is dying. Um yeah, that's I think some of the stuff that makes it like kind of interesting also like doesn't work. This is a romantic but, like, comedy that had a budget of 85 million dollars reportedly and made over 200 million worldwide box office and was pretty much kind of considered if not a financial flop, like uh, it was considered a disappointment in many ways. And right. yet. But in hindsight, we look at this movie now yes. and we're like, maybe at the time, but like Nancy Myers makes movies that continue to like make yep. money. Yep. Whereas like, there's not a whole lot of filmmakers that can say that, Agreed. you know, like, 
I don't know, like, what would we even say is the one that probably, like, people revisit the least? Like, for now, it's the intern, but, like, right. give it some time. Give it some time, exactly. Like, her movies tend to play very well on television, on cable, sort of. Not because, I would, I mean, whatever, it's not like they're these big, you know, visual uh, special effects extravaganzas, obviously, but... I think when I say they play well on television, I don't necessarily mean to slight them as being small, just that they nope. are, they're rewatchable. They're, they're very rewatchable movies. The one they, I think is... She makes movies that will make money in perpetuity, right. basically. The like only exception fees. to that for me is what women want, and that's not really Nancy's fault. That's the fact that I don't right. want to watch a Mel Gibson movie. So That I would also maybe say is her worst movie. Like, it's not even the Mel Gibson thing, but like you watch some of that stuff and it's cringy that thing though i think the thing about what women want it's a fun movie but it's it made almost 400 million dollars worldwide like that's the thing in 19 or in 2000 rather so like that is the success of that i feel like carries what women want more than anything else right um obviously though the you can't really talk about nancy myers without talking about that whole sort of first half of her career where she was a screenwriter exclusively, oftentimes with her husband, Charles Shire, uh, directing. And it's just this really incredibly rich career. We talked about when we were, when we had our To Die For episode, and we talked about Buck Henry, the co- the, the screenwriter on that. And we were sort of like tooling through his filmography, and we came across that movie Protocol, right? Um the the Goldie Hawn movie where it's just like Goldie Hawn goes to Washington kind of a thing. <laughs> and we mentioned that and I remember our Twitter mentions were like full of people who were like, I remember Protocol. I watched Protocol on HBO when I was growing up. Like I think her movies tend to be memorable in that way. Cause the uh cause she and Charles Shire uh wrote that script we have the story by credit on that there was a whole thing with protocol where they had written the script goldie hahn who had worked with them on private benjamin like private benjamin had done very well for all of them right gets goldie an oscar nomination gets them an oscar nomination uh they win a writer's guild award for all of that it's incredibly successful they go to make protocol goldie doesn't like the script from Nancy Myers and Charles Shire and goes to Buck Henry for a rewrite. And apparently it was like an arbitration with the writers guild and all this stuff. And I don't believe they ever worked together again. So I imagine that kind of poisoned the well of that professional relationship. And she eventually Nancy ends up sort of teaming up with Diane Keaton a lot more uh, often after that. But anyway, my point about protocol being like, even though we hadn't ever heard of that movie, that's a movie that like sticks in the memory mm-hmm. of a lot of people. And I think her movies tend to do that. I think Baby Boom, you know, plays really well on TV. Father, the Father of the Bride remake completely, you know, cat, uh, qualifies for that. Well, and some of these movies, I think, get respect in the long run. Like, Baby Boom is a movie that, to me, like, was a staple of my childhood. But, like, you would talk to people and they would like curl their lip basically but right. now i think people actually respect baby boom because why baby boom rules <laughs> you know what was the one that never that never happened with is i love trouble 
which because like that movie it's not really buried it was on hulu for forever that was another movie we watched as yeah. kids a lot and it was always the kind of thing like why am i watching this this is not particularly good i know but... i saw it but i don't remember a thing about it i mostly remember the the reports about it were that julia roberts and nick nolte couldn't stand each other and i mean it shows yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, but we watched that movie a lot because, like, Julia Roberts, obviously. Yeah. But, like, my mom loved Nick Nolte. But, like, you know, we weren't allowed to watch The Prince Remember the days when Nick Nolte was Sexiest Man Alive? Like, Nick Nolte? Like, he was just this, like, (laughs) stud of a man. It's so funny to think about in retrospect because he then, he just sort of evolved into, like, a human sentient growl on film where he was just I'm thinking of like obviously like Warrior but like even Thin Red Line like the Thin Red Line all Nick Nolte does is just like growl out orders it's very very funny um his story is a bummer because he is such an incredible actor yes yes but um I think in general the Nancy Myers filmography if it's one of those things where if you were on a, de- a desert island and you could only pick the filmography of one filmmaker Nancy's in the conversation just because you can watch her movies again and again and again mm-hmm. and I like that I'm sure I'm not sure I would she would be the exact You could have all of these movies including her screenwriting credits and you still yeah. probably wouldn't go back to I Love Trouble it's right. not a good movie like you, <laughs> right. you say that it's the one that it hasn't happened for and there's a reason There's a reason for that yeah yeah um, Still love it though. I'm excited to talk about the holiday though. It's uh, for a Christmas episode. I want something cozy and comforting, and I think this movie front. We haven't that. really done a Christmas episode since the Family Stone. We apparently only do content hotly contended Christmas movies. <laughs> but when yeah. we were picking the episode, you know, we were trying to figure out what to do for Christmas, and you said. You know, if we took a holiday, took some time to celebrate, oh and bring back all those happy days. Famously, I only speak in Madonna lyrics. This is something you need to know about me. And I said, you know, it would be so nice. Listen, Chris, every single thing I say or do, uh, I'm hung up on this movie. So, we're going to talk about the holiday. Um, holiday! <laughs> this is also, and we'll get into this in a little bit, another Jude Law movie right after doing My Blueberry Nights. So if you're counting on your fingers, this is our sixth Jude Law movie. So get ready in a little bit. We're going to do a six-timers quiz for Jude Law. We'll have some good Cam Diaz talk. You know we love to talk Cam Diaz. It's going to be good. Cameron D and Destiny. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so let's get into the plot description. How long are we pushing this? I feel like, you know, this Christmas extravaganza, we're probably pushing the 20-minute mark. Let's do uh, plot description, guys. We're here to talk about The Holiday, written and directed by the one and only Nancy Myers, starring Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, Jack Black, Eli Wallach. We'll get into it. Rufus Sewell, Edward Burns, Shannon Sossaman, Catherine Hahn, and John Krasinski for one scene, Dustin Hoffman in a growling cameo, and in a really fine cameo that I love of uh, James Franco and Lindsay Lohan. It was Stars good. of fake movie 
Deception. Deception. Which... Not not the deception with Michelle Williams, Hugh Jackman, and Ewan McGregor. Right, of course. Different Infants deception. Bomb. Uh, did you get that question right when I put that in, in trivia that one time? That I had the screenshot of James Franco and Lindsay Lohan in Deception, and it was about movies and movies? I did not get that, but my teammate got it, which is how I knew to do this for the teaser <laughs> on Twitter that we were doing this episode, and I don't think anyone got it. Um, I forget. Um, guys, the movie opened December 8th, 2006, I believe the same day as Blood Diamond, so there was all, like, <laughs> Titanic talk in the air. Right. No, wait, it did open the same weekend of Blood Diamond, or, like, around those times, because I saw this and Blood Diamond back-to-back on the same day. No, that is a double feature. Wait, which one was first? Do you remember? Ooh, I don't remember. I feel like that would determine how your day would feel, which one you watched first, whether you watched... There's a whole, like, triangulation, too, because you have those two movies on the same day which obviously the connection is Titanic, but the triangulation is Jennifer Connelly, who is also in Blood Diamond, but is in Little Children with Kate Winslet this year. Oh, in 2006. You're totally right. The other connection between those movies is, of course... I guess that's a square, (laughs) not a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Whatever works. Um... But the I was Listen, gonna... I was better at trigonometry than geometry. <laughs> the other connection between these two movies is when we finally get the scene where Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet get on the phone with each other. And uh, Kate says to Cameron, you know, it's very different uh, in my house. Uh, over, over there, it's uh, bling bling. And over here, it's bling bang. And mm-hmm. the Blood Diamond totally stole that line from them. And it was very controversial. But, you know. You know, Leo won out. Leo, as he does, he want he uh, he uh, he and his former Gangs of New York co-star Cameron Diaz sort of. Uh, uh, that's so funny. Wait, so yeah, so the Leo connection. Leo has a connection with both of those actresses. Any connections with Jack Black or Jude Law? I want to like like Leo pill this entire movie now. Oh wow. Um, I mean, I doubt it for Jack Black. That doesn't. That wouldn't make any sense. But there's got to be a movie that Leo and Jude Law were were in together. It would seem like it, right? It would. Well, The Aviator. The Aviator. See? All right. We got it. Because The Aviator is one of the, like, of course, like, you know, we are the the whole, like, uh, connoisseurs of uh, Jude Law overexposure in 2004. But, like, The Aviator was always one that people brought up. And it's like, he's in two seconds of the aviator i know it's incredibly unfair that that sort of got put in his ledger because you're right it's i feel like our listeners are going to be like our chris rock that they're sick of us talking i know that's very true (laughs) just like we get it chris rock what's what's the analogy here uh anyway again the holiday yes joseph you are charged with giving a 60 second plot description i am are you ready I mean, yes, I did not prepare for this, so I am going to be winging it, but you know what? Sometimes not the plottiest that movie for a movie that is, you know, pushing two and a half hours long. I, it is a long movie. That is, I will say, on the list of things that people tend to complain about most often about this movie, uh, its length is definitely up there. But 
This That's time when I me. watched like, it, I feel like I go into a K hole with this movie, and it's fine. Kind I'm not of, ever bored. I, yes, I go into a I go into a a Christmas time fugue state with this movie, and I'm fine. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. All right, yeah. So yes, I am ready. All right, Joe. Your sixty second plot description of the holiday starts. Now. All right, Kate Winslet is a newspaper reporter in Surrey, uh, or in London, but she has a house in Surrey, and Kay Emeron Diaz is an unhappy movie trailer maker in Los Angeles, and they are both uh, coming off of ends of relationships, so they decide to swap houses and lives for a couple weeks around the holidays to uh, essentially get away from their lives. So Cameron goes to Surrey, this cute little cottage, and she meets Kate Winslet's brother, Jude Law, who is Jude Law and very charming, and they go out on a few dates, and they they have sex sort seconds. of right away, and they're very pretty and lovely together. Meanwhile, Kate Winslet is in Los Angeles, staying at this, like, giant Brentwood house. Eli Wallach is her old Hollywood neighbor. She meets Jack Black, who is a, a composer, and they kind of have a meet-cute, and it's very uh, charming. And by the end, both of the couples realize that they are in love with each other, and then they all end up at the cottage in Surrey Ten for seconds. New Year's Eve, and they're dancing together, and it's really lovely, and there's not a whole lot of plot in between. There's some obstacles to the relationships, but really, Jude Law's got a couple of kids, it's really kind of nice and that is time yeah right yes see okay uh, 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 you ended on jude law i feel like maybe let's just start there because i feel like he's the one who's the most miscast oh all right mostly because like we are well on record of saying we like scumbum jude law like jude law should be some like pathetic like asshole. You're saying right? he's, he's too so nice of a guy on this. There's no there's no I mean, but like the movie kind of and maybe it feels this way because it's like, well, no, <laughs> for like the Jude Law we like, but like it's just like kinda like sad. Like how how can we make this man more charming and more appealing <laughs> to Cameron Two Diaz's adorable character? Daughters. Yeah. Let's make him tragic. He's a widower. Yeah. Like, he has two very adorable children in a movie that it's like, you know, you think that putting two cute kids in it would be pushing it over the edge, and you're like, you know what? No, this is too sweet and saccharine. But, oh, no, these are two wonderful, lovely children. And it's just... So here's my thing. Know. No, I get. He's just nice in this movie. He's just a nice guy. He's a very nice and charming guy. He does not have a dark side. He does not have any tarnish on him. I think you could probably say that about all of these people that like they have their flaws and foibles, but in general, there's not a whole lot standing between either one of those couples getting together. I guess Kate Winslet's sort of lingering feelings. I mean, a couple thousand miles is standing between these couples getting together but like it's not a problem it's not a problem right and and it's and it's not really treated as a problem for too long and i sometimes am fine with a movie that is all charm no struggle and i i can watch a movie like the holiday and just be like oh this is very nice. This is very nice that these good people met other good people. And you know what? And they don't go through the the regular hoops of a romantic comedy where there's a misunderstanding between them. Or there's a, you know, there's something that's like very obvious that we think they should get past, but they just can't get past it. And it's not even a discovery that Kate Winslet and Jude Law are brothers and sisters. That's like set up front. Yes. Like the only obstacle yes. is... 
Kate Winslet or uh, Cameron Diaz thinks that Jude Law is a ladies' man, but no, he has two daughters. Like, right? Yes, two daughters who apparently have separate cell phones. Like, okay, so this is worth discussing in the guise in the under the umbrella of who has what money in this movie? Because one of the things mm. that I kind of focused on in this one is not only are Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet sort of swapping houses and one is in London and one is in LA and they have very different lives. They're at two different economic levels. I'm not saying that Kate Winslet's character is poor by any means, but she's not as wealthy as Cameron Diaz. Like Cameron Diaz has okay, this she's like she's a journalist. She definitely doesn't make a lot of money, but she has this like cottage that is definitely too far to be her like home home. But it is. Where she commutes every day Like, for there's work. no indication that she has, like, a flat in London or anything like that. So, as far as we know, that is her house. It's adorable and cute and in the country, but it's small. And, like, you know, the bathtub is this sort of, like, freestanding little, like, charming little country bathtub and whatever. And it's probably drafty and all that stuff. Like I, I want to sit in it all day and destroy my back. <laughs> yeah, that was, there's this one scene where it's, Cameron Diaz is sitting in the tub, and it's like her legs are sticking out the one end, and, and she's, you know, her, obviously her head's at the other. Her spine is fucked, And I was honey. just like, yeah, I was like two seconds in that bath, and I would just be in absolute agony. But you know what? She seemed to be having a good time. Maybe when you're that skinny that it, everything works, and that's fine. But, like, Cameron Diaz is at a different level. Whatever level Kate Winslet's at in this movie, Cameron Diaz is at a different level wealth-wise. Yes. And so I think there's something to that, too, where, like, Kate uh, Cameron Diaz is going to England to sort of charmingly downsize. And, like, again, she's not moving to a life of struggle. She's moving to, like, picturesque Surrey, where there's, like, adorable cobblestone roads with shops and pubs and whatnot. And Kate Winslet is going to, for two weeks, live the life of a incredibly wealthy Los Angeles woman with... A mansion and a pool and a gate and all of so the wealthy. She has that DVD wall, which includes two copies of Identity. Um, did she, did, really? I had to pause to look at it. It's just like if anybody posts their like DVD shelves, I know, or I do. Shelves, I, I see it on Instagram. Yeah. I'm gonna pinch and zoom. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I need to see what you have on your shelves. I need to know if you're an axe murderer. Yeah. Apparently, Cameron Diaz is because who needs two copies of Identity? What else is on that wall? Geely. Wow. It's a lot of Sony movies because this is a Sony movie. Of course. Of also course. on that wall, Enigma, which is a movie that Kate Winslet stars in. Oh wow. And then what movie does she pull off the shelf? She pulls off Punch Drunk Love. Oh, that's cute. Do we think do we think there's any Amy Pascal in Cameron Diaz's character in this? Because it's a Sony mm. movie. Like maybe Nancy sort I of like if, was was if, friends with Amy and was just like, there's a little bit of like I'm gonna I'm gonna import your house or whatever. Like this is what I'm gonna base right. this house on or something. I don't know. If Cameron Diaz showed up in a massive fur coat at any point in the movie, I would say yes. <laughs> um Okay, here's my question about the since I brought up the whole movies thing. Yes. And like this is a movie very uh enmeshed even if it's just on a surface level, but it's fun, it's sweet uh in like 
Hollywood history and yes. like movies and the and film such, industry, and, like, the business of what film. movies yeah. have been and then what they are today. You have Eli Wallach being like, in my day, nine movies open in a month, and now there's nine movies opening this week. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's Christmas time. There's like <laughs> even 15 years later, there's like 20 movies that will open during well, Christmas week and even also during a fucking pandemic. And also 15 years later, uh, Eli Wallach was playing a character who was sort of bemoaning the existence of the multiplex as a thing. And now right. we're like, please save our multiplexes for the for the good <laughs> of the film art form or whatever. Please see a movie that's not about a superhero. Yeah. Like, um, okay, no, this was going to be my question. Long-witted way of getting there. Yeah. Has Kate Winslet's character ever seen a movie? Like, Because she's so fascinated by everything? Okay, the blockbuster scene kind of drove me crazy this time because, like, the blockbuster video where they're in the video store. Which, a again, I was pausing because I had to see what was on the shelves. Of course, there's copies of Bad Boys Two, but like, it's all like unalphabetized, (laughs) and like, it's such a mess. It's like. That's why they went out of business. Breakfast Nobody could find is anything. like next to... Uh, well, you can see, if you look closely, there is a copy of The Piano Teacher. Um, I was very pleased to see Do you have, like, X-ray vision eyes that just, like, immediately when The Piano Teacher is in a frame, you, like, can zoom in on it? I, I Listen, I know what I'm doing. You're like that um, gif of, like, the kid with, like, the glasses that go, like... You know what I'm... The, the one where it's just, but, like, the super lens glasses? That is me. Yeah. Um, uh, but, like, the piano teacher is on the same shelf as Breakfast at Tiffany's, and it's like, what is going on? Have some reckless teens just been, like, shuffling movies around? But anyway, has this character ever seen or heard of a movie? Because, like, Jack Black does this whole tour thing, and it's supposed to be charming. He does all of these film scores in a way that's, like, you know, goofy and embarrassing, whatever. It's cute. I think it's cute. But it's all, like, very basic movies, and she has seen... None of them. Granted, they are all boy movies. And the first two movies he recommends to her are Chariots of Fire and Driving Miss Daisy. She says she's that seen is Chariots game... of Fire, though. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, she has seen Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Either way, if a man recommend The first two movies a man recommends to me are Chariots of Fire and Driving Miss Daisy, game over. So, okay... I'm not fucking you. <laughs> I I read that scene differently. I don't think he was recommending the movies so much to her as just being like, these are scores the that I find scores. memorable. Because he's a movie score guy. He's a composer. Um, Who remembers the score from Driving Miss Daisy? I do. As soon as he started tootling it out, I was like, yeah, that's it. I remember. Okay. I'm sorry. I do. He does say Vangelis like Vangelis, which... Yeah. I famously thought it was Vangelis, so we don't really know. <laughs> Please how welcome it's to pronounced. the stage, Vangelis. Right? Is it Vangelis? Is it Vangelis? Is it Vangelis? I, he says Vangelis. I've heard Vangelis, so we'll fight it out. I don't know. You're not just jealous; you're Vangelis. Exactly. Exactly. I when you see a nice minivan on the street, and you're like, "Hmm, I wish I had that minivan." I'm I'm Van I'm so jealous I'm Van jealous yeah um I thought that was a cute scene I do get what your point is she does seem incredibly sort of wide eyed about all of this and it's like you don't work in like maybe the one movie she's seen is Chariots of Fire that's her one movie but like you're a reporter you work you're not in the arts but you're sort of like adjacent to there's a culture there's a culture desk at your uh 
at your newspaper. And again, he only brings up dude movies to her. And she's a she's a weddings reporter, right? Because the thing where they bring up at the Christmas party where they're like... Some type of like socialite columnist. Right, right. So like... And like the movies that she watches that like Eli Wallach's character gets her into are a lot of older movies and let's face it, like, you know, yeah. you don't, you know. Yes. The average person doesn't watch, you know, the Lady Eve all the time. Right. Here's my... Uh, sort of thing with Kate Winslet in this movie, and it's not so much about the 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 film industry stuff. Although I do find that charming, and I find the stuff with her and Eli Wallach. Very yeah, I charming. like that stuff. I think that's really nice, and I think that could have been a subplot that could have been kind of dull or just like all right. Oh, I think it could have been the whole movie. No, but I mean, I think handled poorly. It could have oh, been a right, drag right, right. on this movie that you just want to watch these couples be, you know, romantic with or each other. Or a bummer, too sad. I was glad he didn't die at the end. Because, you know, whenever you are yeah. a movie and you introduce a older, like a 90-year-old character among a whole bunch of younger people who are then going to learn things from that person, it's very like, much... Let me tell you my, wife, my love story yeah. of my dead lover, and then let me... You know, fall asleep on a bench and not wake yes. up. Yes, you know, I always feel like there's an invisible ticking clock with that kind of character where you're just like, oh god, like it's we're we're coming up on it, and we don't get that ending. So again, all the ways that this movie could have been sad or uh, frustrating or have conflict of any kind, and it's just like, nope, we're not going to do that. And honestly, I I'm fine with it. I'm happy with it. Like I said, I want something nice and easy. And uh, that's what this is. Oh, but the one thing I was going to say in terms of missed opportunities, we talked a bit uh, when you did the cast rundown, Catherine Hahn and John Krasinski are in this. They both work for Cameron Diaz in the trailer making biz. And obviously this was well before Catherine Hahn was a star. The first thing I had ever noticed her in, she had been in Anchorman briefly, but like the first thing uh-huh. I'd ever really noticed her enough to like find out what her name was was Revolutionary Road, which is still two years after um, the holiday. And she's spectacular in it. She's wonderful in that movie. Her and David Harbour actually uh, playing a, a married couple in that movie. Anyway, though, they introduce Catherine Hahn and she's pregnant. Her character is pregnant, and then you never see her or Krasinski again in the movie. And all I'm saying is Chekhov is if you introduce pregnant Catherine Hahn in the first act, she absolutely has to go into labor by the third act, and, like, Kate Winslet has to deliver that baby somewhere. Like, I I just needed that to happen. At the theater, opening day, Christmas day, <laughs> seeing deception. <laughs> right, Kate Winslet gets invited to the premiere because they're like, oh, we thought Amanda would be in town. We have this extra ticket. Do you want to go with me and John Krasinski? And she's like, oh, lovely, the f- a film, a film premiere. I've never heard of such a thing. And so then she shows up. That is literally how her character speaks in this movie. That's why she is miscast. <laughs> Wait, so who do you cast in the Kate Winslet role? Who do you cast in the I Jude mean, Law in role? 2006? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Jude Law, you could probably cast a different handsome character actor at this point. Like, uh, you know, um, I don't know. You would want somebody a little bit... Somebody who's better playing less complicated people. Like, the more complicated the person Jude Law is playing... right the more interesting he is. I mean, here, he's literally just has to be pretty. Like, I mean, and, like, check that box nice. on me. Like, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, so, and you feel like Winslet needs to be somebody who's... 
I mean, she wrote that role for Winslet, yeah. and I'm like, huh? I think Winslet's like, good in this. Is, is the defining characteristic of Kate Winslet to Nancy Myers just British? Like, I think this is the Kate Winslet character that's most like actual Kate Winslet in her entire filmography. I'm going to throw that That might down. be true. I think Kate Winslet, at least in like interviews, is a little bit more of a rascal than this character You're right. Is. She is a little bit more of a rascal. But I think of her in, like, you know how every few years we'll give Kate Winslet an award and we'll remember that, like, oh, this is how Kate Winslet acts at, at award ceremonies? And That's true. She does have a moment where she sees Eli Wallach's Oscar and is like, oh! And this is, of course, before she has hers. So. But I, I rewatched yesterday for something else entirely. I watched her Mayor of Easttown Emmy speech. And literally, it's like, you're Kate Winslet. And I love her. And I have no, this is not a complaint. But she, she walks up and she gets her Emmy Award. And she's like, Mom, they're standing for me. Like, this kind of thing. And it's just like, I love that this, that awards show Kate Winslet has never, she's like, she, it's very Taylor Swifty, right? It's just like, nobody's ever sure, praised sure, sure, her before in her life. This is the one good thing that's ever happened to her. She's so happy about it. And like, and it's just funny to me because it's just like, you are Kate Winslet though. Like people well, do love but the the nice thing about her Mayor of Easttown Emmy is that like, she was winning an award for one of her very best performances. 100%. But yes. like, People also gave her shit over her. Yes. Was it? Was it her globe for? No, it wasn't the globe for um, Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce. It was the Emmy because, like, she gets up there and she's like, "I didn't think we were gonna win anything," and she was like so effusive about it. And it was it. the and like, like fourth it's not award. Just about her. It was the fourth major televised award that she had won for that movie. So right, yeah. and like, I think it's more like she feels a spirit of pride for the group endeavor. That's usually and you what get I that get in the mayor's speech too she's incredibly proud of the group that she was with and again it's not i am not complaining about kate winslet here but i do it's just it's a very particular flavor of her um well and it was also that was it a variety cover or a hollywood reporter cover where it's like literally the pull quote that they did from the whole interview the whole profile is do i want an oscar of course i want an oscar like and it's like that's just what is on the cover great but again i want I want you to want an Oscar. I want you to want it. Yeah. So, yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'm charmed by her in this movie. So who do you feel like is giving the... Oh, she's charming. I just don't... I'm. I, maybe it's that, like, she's also in Little Children this year, which is, like, the era of Kate Winslet when she was doing, you know, more... I don't want to say minor key, but, like, otter work right. that I think is, like, what she's best at. And it's, like... And, like, of course, not to talk smack about Nancy Myers in this way, but, like, this character isn't really that interesting, and I don't want to say, like, Kate Winslet is better than this character, but, like, uh, like, what, uh, how do I want to say it? Like, she ca- she's maybe capable of giving more her. than what this character asks for. Exactly. Though, like, what she does, and she is incredibly charming, and it's rare that she just gets to be charming in a movie... But like, and I also I don't, don't get the sense that she's slumming it here. Like, she does not give that air of just no. sort of. I don't think that about anybody in this. I just, right. I guess, I wish there was more on the page for all of the four sure. leads. And like, well, maybe Jack Black feels like yes, there is enough for him to do given the size of the role and like, yeah, how on the rise his star was at that moment. But also at the same time, it's like their chemistry is charming but like 
in a way that I still don't feel like. Yeah. I feel like for me, fit. I guess I don't know. I think for me, the character I'm, I tend to be most frustrated by in this is Cameron Diaz's character because there are highs and lows, and I want, I, I want more of what are the highs. Like I think she's, she's putting herself into this performance. I like a lot of the little things she does. The like the drinking from the wine bottle at the market. I think is really like cute and charming. Um, when she and Kate Winslet have the call waiting mix up, which like mm-hmm. put it in the Smithsonian, the era of call That's waiting. That's like mix-ups. her best scene. Yeah. Um, uh, just you know, remember when this was how we had uh, uh, snafus once upon a time with telephones. But anyway, when Kate comes back to her the second time and goes on even longer, sort of haranguing her brother, so she thinks, and then it's just the cutback to Cameron Diaz and she just goes, "Still me," and it's just a really well timed, well uh, executed little moment. And yet, yeah, call waiting was the like, you're you're on mute. Yes, of its time. Yes, yeah, yes. You're still on mute. Still on mute. Yes, good call. That is an excellent call. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, but then there's the stuff like. There's the trailer voiceover that narrates her life when she's feeling frustrated or when she's trying to go to sleep or whatever that I think is a little too a little too much for the vibe of this movie. It's the me- it's like a metatextual thing that I'm like it's also like as like funnier die was becoming a thing so it feels a little funnier die but like it's also the same year as stranger than fiction which made like a whole movie oh, out of yeah. uh shout out to our episode and guest Kevin Jacobson yes yeah it's it's something that doesn't fully work but doesn't bother me and it also yeah. i think if it was maybe handled a little bit more sharply it does kind of present her like why is this trailer voice in her head all the time because she's so focused on her work her work is so consuming to her like she can't even get away to another continent Mm -hmm. in a cottage Mm -hmm. on a wintry hillside without you know thinking and work talk right right exactly i don't know i think she's the character that actually has the most depth i just think she's maybe directed in a weird way that's like smoothing out any of those more like prickly edges to it or any of the more darker stuff to it because it's like a movie that's just trying to be you know pleasant it's i just i i think the complicating stuff with her doesn't super work for me the thing where she can't cry um which i always think of that uh, seinfeld episode where george's mother gets an eye job and she keeps yelling i can't cry don't upset me i can't cry um <laughs> uh I'm not sure how well that worked for me. The the like as a character beat, like I've never been able to cry. I'm just like, oh. well, that's the Chekhov's gun of the movie, right? Of course, not pregnant Catherine Hahn. But and then she walks in at the end, and who is crying? It's Jude Law who is crying. Um, right. Which really like was a thing because I was just like, oh, it really reminds me that like how few times you see men in movies cry in that context, right? As just like just crying, not because somebody died, not because you know whatever, but just crying because you're sad about a woman, and you don't really see men just allowed to be sad like that. And I thought that was interesting. That like you probably wouldn't have gotten that in a story written or directed by a man, right? So anyway, do we want to do our Jude Law six timer quiz? Yeah, let's get it out of the way. All right, so. Uh, if you are a listener to this podcast, you know that when we reach the sixth film by an actor or actress uh, that we've covered on this show, 
we uh, do a little sort of uh, induction ceremony. We induct them into our Six Timers Club. And to mark the occasion, I give uh, Chris File here a little quiz. And so we have reached that point with Jude Law. Uh, we were hanging at four for quite a bit. And then the last few weeks, we have had a flurry of Jude Law activity with My Blueberry Nights in the Holidays. So, Chris, to refresh your memory, the six Jude Law movies are Midnight in the Good the Midnight in the Gooden of Garden Evil, uh, Midnight <laughs> in the Garden of Good and Evil, uh, I Heart Huckabees, Alfie, uh, another uh, 2004 uh, Jude Law movie, Huckabees and Alfie, All the King's Men. Steve Zalian film, My Blueberry Nights, which we covered a few weeks ago, and now The Holiday. So I'm going to give you a series of questions. The answers will be among those six movies. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, All right. So of those six, which is the shortest? My Blueberry Nights. My Blueberry Nights at a cool 95 minutes. Very good. Which is the longest? Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? Yes. Uh, Wasn't it longest for somebody else? It might have been. It's probably the longest for whoever's in that because it's... It's a long 155 grueling minutes of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. All right. Which one... Spiritually, All the King's Men is the longest because that that is purgatory. Yes. Uh, Which one globally made the most money? The Holiday. Holiday cleared $200 million. Which one made the least money? All the King's Men. All the King's Men at $9 million. All right. Which one had the best Rotten Tomatoes score? I Heart Huckabees. I Heart Huckabees, 62%. Which one had the worst Rotten Tomatoes score? All the King's Men. All the King's Men, 11%. All right. I ask you those questions every time, so I'm starting to wonder whether you study up on them. But you know what? It's fine. No, I don't. I just... All right. I think Jude Law is going to be the easiest time we ever do. Very possibly. All right. Which two... All right, this is this is the layup, but I just want to, you know, throw this out. Which two movies were directed by people who were once married to each other? Oh, um, oh okay. So Clint Eastwood, Nancy Myers, David O. Russell, um, Wong Kar Wai. It's got to be the other two then. Oh, no, wait, it's Charles Shire and Nancy Myers. Yes. Charles Shire for Alfie. Yep. Yeah. Charles Shire directed Duh. Alfie, Nancy Myers directed Can't Hall. believe I had to walk down a rabbit hole for that. <laughs> Which one of these movies was released in Aries season? So, April, um, not Huckabees, not this, um, shit. Oh, no, it's My Blueberry Nights. It's My Blueberry Nights, very good. Rele- yes. Released early April, yes. Uh, which three of these movies does Jude Law star with stars of the Lovely Bones? <laughs> so Tucci, uh, Sarandon, Sarandon. People yell at me for saying Sarandon, <laughs> but I have seen an interview with her before where she said, no, it's Sarandon. Wait, really? I just go with it. Yes. Well, I tried to find this to be like, all right, please, you need to li- leave me alone. Please dig this up because, because I have been thinking all this I've time. I've tried to find it. I okay. know that she has said it's Sarandon. Okay. I just go with it when people say Sarandon. Um, <laughs> well, Alfie. Yes. Um, Sarandon. Which one is the two chin? There's also Sersha, Mark Wahlberg. Well, Mark Wahlberg is um, uh, Huckabees. Right. Well, no, Rachel Weiss, who is in My Blueberry Nights. Yes, 
Very good. My blueberry Jude Knights. Law is the tomb in the middle of their house. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Which two of these movies does Jude Law star with stars of Good Night and Good Luck? Uh, well, Strathairn is in um, My Blueberry Nights. Yes. Who else is in Good Night and Good Luck? Robert Downey Jr., Patricia Clarkson, Clooney is also in that. Hmm. Is John Cusack in that movie? I don't believe so. Okay, so he's not the answer. Spacey's not the answer. Spacey's uh, not the Lady Chablis movie. is not the answer, but wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, uh, I can't think of... No, Patricia Clarkson's in um, All the King's Men. Yes. You sort of sped right past it, and I was like, is he going to realize? Okay. <laughs> She's in the Mercedes McCain role. Yes. Uh, which is the only one of those six films to not either be written or co-written by the director? Oh, okay. Uh, not the holiday. Well, uh, Midnight in the Garden of the Good and Evil? Correct. Scripted by uh, John Lee Hancock. Everything else yes. is either co-written or written by the person who directed it. All right. Which movie was released on the same weekend as Apocalypto? So that's December. It's not the holiday, is it? It's the holiday. Apocalypto wow. finished number one at the box office the weekend that the holiday finished third. Uh, to Hold, debut. please, because I need to look up this curse weekend again. You do. Like, look it up. It is, it's wild. It's wild times. If you if you are a uh, blank check fan, you already know this one because they've covered the holiday. So, they, so Griffin did the uh, box office game. Oh yeah! One. Wow, Blood Diamond. Yeah, Blood like kind of bombed. Blood Diamond, Apocalypto, the holiday all released on the same weekend. So if you showed up, if you were Christmas shopping, let's say in early December, and you wanted to take a break from your Christmas shopping and see a new movie, your choices were Mel Gibson's uh, ultra-violent Mayan Empire film, Apocalypto, um, Bling Bang itself, uh, Blood Diamond, or The Holiday. And if you picked anything but The Holiday, I want to know what your problem is. (laughs) Yeah. Wild weekend. What else was in the box office that uh, that weekend? Happy Feet, sure. Which Cameron Diaz gave the animated Oscar to. Because um, I always remember her being like Happy Feet, like um, <laughs> and Casino Royale. Oh well, I all right. Uh, you have permission to have chosen Casino Royale in retrospect. That would have been good. Okay. Um, which movie was released on the same weekend as Shark Tale? So that was October. Of like oh three no it's um Alfie it's not Alfie really um Huckabees I heard Huckabees yes the other two thousand four movie all right which two of these movies played at the Toronto International Film Festival famously all the King's Men yes and not Alfie not Midnight in the Garden. Oh, I Heart Huckabees. Yes, I Heart Huckabees. I Heart Huckabees was a gala. Yeah. Can you imagine? I would have lived my entire life. I would have loved it so much. All right. Ladies in ball gowns watching that movie. This is a tough one, so I'm going to let you work it out a little bit. Which three of these films does Jude Law star opposite exactly two Oscar winners for acting? Okay. Not counting um, on So, you, Meaning there are two Oscar winners for acting in the movie. Alongside him, yes. Exactly two. Alfie. Alfie. Who are they? 
uh, Sarandon and um 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 um. I'm gonna make you say well, it. Sienna Miller has guessing. an honorary Oscar Shut for the, the Cat up. on a Hot Tin Roof <laughs> video. Um, Tomei. Yes, Marissa Tomei. Yes. Um, and the holiday. Who? Eli Wallach has an Oscar, right? Honorary. Not. Good. Oh, so it doesn't count. Yeah, honorary um, doesn't count. Two other movies. It's three movies total. It's not. I guess it's probably Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, but I can't figure out who it is besides Spacey. It's a huge movie. Is it that movie? It's that movie, but like, I'm put a pin in that one because I want you to get who the other uh, Oscar winner is. Okay, not Cusack, not Clint Eastwood's own daughter. Um, it's a smaller yeah. role in the movie. Yeah, it's something. Of there's a, a million small roles in that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's like one of our earliest episodes. Um, shit, I can't remember. Well, put like I said, put a pin in that and get the other, get the other uh, movie. Oh, I said Alfie. Yeah, there's three movies. Oh, there's three. Okay, yeah. so um, it's not Huckabee's. Is it all? No, it is All the King's Men. Why? Sean Penn, Kate Winslet, and um. I said it needs to star exactly two Oscar winners for acting. Well, yeah, that's two Oscar winners for acting. Kate Winslet has an Oscar, and so does Sean Penn. And so does Anthony Hopkins, so it's three. So it's oh, exactly okay, you two. needed me to name all three. Okay. No, but what I'm saying is that's not. it does not count, because I said he needs, it needs to oh, star exactly, exactly two. Oh, exactly two. Yes. Uh, my Blueberry Nights? Yeah. Yeah, My Blueberry Nights. <laughs> Yeah, because Natalie Portman and Rachel Weisz. Yes, all right. So Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, your missing Oscar winner, uh, won an Oscar in, I want to say the 1950s, but I could be wrong. Great. Um, for a movie that like people still talk about today, um, that is sort of adapted kind of a lot, if not necessarily on film. So it's been on TV? No. Well, there, there have been versions on television, I think. But Is it Carl Mulden? No, but like, you're circling the airport here. Like, you're really... <laughs> so it's someone from like a Tennessee Williams. Yeah, you're, you're, you're circling the airport real closely. Is it Kim Hunter? It's Kim Hunter. Kim Hunter, who played Stella mm. in A Streetcar Named wow. Desire... I never would have gotten Kim Hunter. ...was in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. We didn't really talk about her very much when we were uh, when we were doing that. But anyway, yes. I couldn't even tell you who she played in the movie. I know. Well, it's... Whatever. The rogues gallery of weirdos in Savannah in that movie. <laughs> yes. All right. Congratulations on doing so well at the Jude Law Six-Timers quiz. Thank well you. Done. Well done. Thank you very much. It's an honor. <laughs> yes. Um, what else do I want to talk about in this movie? Oh, I rewatched uh, Diane Keaton's Golden Globe acceptance speech for Something's Gotta Give uh, earlier today, which, again, Something's Gotta Give is, like, the proximate reason why the holiday had Oscar buzz. Because up until that point, Nancy Myers, for as successful as she was, 
was not an awardsy person. Like Baby Boom had gotten, I think, a Golden Globe nomination, and obviously Private Benjamin, like way back in the day. But like by this point, she's doing the Parent Trap, she's doing Father of the Bride, she's you know what women want. These movies that are successful but are not Oscar movies. They're Golden Globe at best movies, and but then something's got to give it sort of reaches it's this sort of like magical moment because there's nothing about something's got to give that is necessarily more awardsy in in concept it's just that everybody was so in love with that diane keaton performance and that best actress year felt very shallow for a very long time well, but also Diane Keaton had so much heat around her. It was even pulling like original screenplay talk. It ultimately didn't get there. Ultimately Probably didn't. Should have, but um but I think it was just the fact that there were, we reached a point in the year at some point Charlize Theron's publicity photo or, or onset paparazzi photos for Monster had everybody so intrigued that she was being predicted. Um mm-hmm. and then everybody else like, everybody assumed Nicole Kidman would get in for Cold Mountain because it was Nicole Kidman, and that ultimately wasn't correct. But then there were a lot of, like, a lot of people had been predicting Jennifer Connelly for House of Sand and Fog, and then that movie really fizzled, really sort of, like, became a non-entity for her. Um, ben Kingsley and Shorya Agadashalu ended up so outpacing her in the reviews that they sort of got pulled in at her expense almost um and in america like had this long trajectory because it was the year before at tiff right and like samantha morton had kind of been having like near nominations with other things she was a very late breaker keisha castle hughes had been campaigned and supporting so nobody was really assuming her in lead and so there was kind of a void and everybody was like why not diane keaton she's an oscar winner she's great in this it's sort of a comeback story and so watched the golden globe speech which it's very diane keaton and she's got this like like head to toe sort of ivory a trench coat dress kind of a thing where it's like this very sort of like it's the Victorian collar, right? That goes all the way up to like your chin or whatever. And yes. and the gloves and this sort of like insane long string of pearls and her hair's um very like uh like a hair stylist really kind of went to town being like, we're gonna give you like the wet messy look. And I was just like, <laughs> maybe not the best idea, but whatever. Um and she's being Diane and she's very effusive and every time she mentions Nancy, her like voice like options up about two registers and she's just like i can't believe that in my advanced age i found this great script written by nancy and it's just like she just really like projects whenever she mentions nancy and it happens like three times it's very funny and she talks about she like keeps repeating the phrase like i cast me as a woman to love i sure as hell wasn't prepared to be rediscovered by nancy myers Let's face it, getting to play a woman to love at 57 is like reaching for the stars with the stepladder. But I know I got lucky, and isn't it ironic that my luck, all my luck, was to have Nancy give me a chance to play a woman to love. One more bittersweet time. And it's very sort of sing-songy, the whole speech. It's, it's one of those things where I'm just like, just 
for a while there, Diane Keaton had gotten four Oscar nominations in four separate decades. That was like the easy way to remember which were her Oscar nominations, because it was one from the 70s, one from the 80s, one from the 90s, and one from the aughts. And then she never got one in the teens, which is why the teens are a cursed decade. Um, but it made me feel like we should just give Diane Keaton an award, an award every few years, just have a Diane Keaton speech because they're very, she ends the thing with just like, I can't believe that they made this movie where the combined age of the two stars is 128. It's just like, <laughs> it's so wonderful. It's a great speech. Check it out. So, um, yeah, the ho- I don't think the holiday even got any globe nominations or did it? No, no, it did not. Did it get like which is anything? I kind of want to talk about Eli Wallach for a minute because yeah, I think if this was it. a more respected movie, and maybe you could say maybe it was a little bit better too, but like actually respected, yeah, like especially in the mid two thousands, like that's the type of role for like you know sweet old man or like sarcastic old man that would get like a legend like Eli Wallach a nomination and it didn't happen. I want to look up cuz that's now you've intrigued me. You big mistake on your part. Now you've got me thinking of the recent history of that kind of sort of old man who we really like in a small role in a movie. And I'm thinking of like Hell Holbrook in Into the Wild got that nomination. Uh, Ellen, Alan Arkin got a win. Alan Arkin though, got like, a that's win. That's a little bit more irrational. Well, and he's also a lot more of a focus in that movie. He's he's mm-hmm. they, he gets a lot of attention in that. But like someone like Paul El- Newman in Road to Perdition, which is a little bit of a different thing because it's like Paul Newman's last performance, etc. And he's the big villain in that. But I'm thinking like Alan Alda in The Aviator is kind of like that, where it's like really small role, but. We really love him. And at that point, I don't think he'd ever been nominated for an Oscar, which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Max von Sydow in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is sort of like that. Alan Arkin in Argo Fuck Yourself. <laughs> um, I hate that nomination. Yeah. It's the, yeah. I, I am often a defender of Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine, but Alan Arkin in Argo is a really weird nomination. There's really nothing to that. He's not bad, but it's just like... Why him and not John Goodman in that same movie? I'm not saying that Goodman deserved the unnominated it John Goodman. Yeah, the it's legend weird. John Goodman. It's weird. It's weird. Who like had that run in like a few years where he's doing like Ten Cloverfield Lane and he's amazing, but like they're never gonna nominate Ten Cloverfield Lane. He would have deserved for Ten Cloverfield Lane. Like honestly, Absolutely. he really would have. Um. But yeah, so I could I could have seen it with the Eli Wallach thing. Um, he's very charming in this. He's very you know he's fun. I think for an Oscar nomination, they would probably demand a little bit more drama there. I think they like these roles, these yeah. sort of small roles where they have. If it was tragic, if he died, right, and it would have been a worse movie, I think, but probably a better case I for agree. an Oscar nomination, which is. Or if his like big speech when he goes to the like Writers Guild tribute to him, if it was yeah. like actually like a weepy moment, that's but, like, the, the other moment thing. Ultimately, becomes about Kate Winslet's love story. That's the other thing about how much how sort of Hollywood insider this movie is is that like it has one of its biggest emotional climaxes happen at a Writers Guild tribute to somebody. <laughs> It's really something else. It's real insidery in a way that I appreciate, but like, 
I could see where like its appeal maybe has a limited uh, range to it. So <laughs> I'll just say for a movie that has a lot of love stories and a lot of romances in it, I think the best love story is between Kate Winslet and Eli Wallach. I think you're right. I think you're right. To the point where when she's on the phone talking with Jude Law and she's like, I found somebody who makes me laugh and I, I enjoy his company and, and all this sort of stuff. And then she's just like, and he's 90 years old. And it plays as if that is like sort of self-explanatorily like, ha ha ha, I'm joking. And yet I'm like, but like everything else you said still kind of applies. So like, the romance maybe you are friendship. in love with him. Yeah. Yes. The romance of friendship. Oh, I love that. I agree with that. Okay. I love movies about the romance of friendship. I do. Well, it's so funny. Lately, there's been a lot of sort of talk about, like, what happened to sex in movies? And I do get it. Um, About how, especially studio movies, have become very, very skittish about any kind of sex in their movies. And it is a problem, and it's worth talking about. But I think the conversation about that tends to then sort of demonize a thing that I actually like in a movie, which is... A movie that is a where it's about a friendship rather than a relationship, and especially yeah. like like platonic male female friendships being like valued in movies, I think is wonderful. And a lot of times, I think in this discussion, people have been like, "Those two people could have been fucking." And I'm just like, okay. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> they could have been fucking and still just been friends. Like you know, I mean, I don't know, or like complete polar opposite. What's probably the one of the best like maybe not romance of friendships but like there is like this deep well of like complicated affection is like can you ever forgive me um yes oh totally yeah absolutely friendship cinema my favorite cinema oh again when i win the lottery and open that uh, money we just did an episode on hustlers if there's not a movie about a recent movie about like the romance of friendship the whole relationship between ramona and destiny is like a friendship romance. You're right. You're absolutely right. What else is going I on? I also wrote in the, um, before we got on mic, you yelled at me <laughs> in our outline under <laughs> Eli Wallach. It's just in brackets, bottom eyes emoji. You're the one who I wrote that Which I think you phrase. took differently than I meant. Heterosexual, pe- heterosexual listeners, we know you're out there. If you don't know what bottom eyes emoji is, it's the one where it looks like the emoji is about to start crying which has taken on its own gay life. But, like, I meant it as, like, my eyes are welling up, Eli Wallach. Oh, man. I'm just saying, you're the one who used the phrase bottom eyes emoji in a bracket right after Eli Wallach. What was I to infer? Joe Innocent, as far as I'm concerned. Like, I I accept no responsibility for reading I mean, young Eli Wallach, absolutely. Wait, so we haven't talked a ton about Cameron Diaz... And where she's at in her career at this point. Because at this point, she's kind of past the brush with Oscar moment. And she's... Right. And I I mean, uh, and in her shoes is like the end of the road for that. Really. I mean, like, there's... What's the... the, My Sister's Keeper or Your Sister's... The the one where her... My Sister's Keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like still a summer movie, but... But even within her shoes... When people would talk about that as an Oscar contender, it was Tony Collette was 
uh, talked about as a lead actress, and Shirley MacLaine was talked about in supporting, and nobody really even had Cameron Diaz as a possibility, even though, and we've talked about this in the episode that we did on that movie, we both think she's giving the best performance in that movie, of many good performances in that movie. It's not like that she's yeah. winning that award by default. And the best performance of her career. It's the best, and we agree with that on that as well, but I think by that point, I think Gangs of New York really kind of poisoned that well because it had been people really hate that Globe nomination. I mean, she's not good in that movie, and she no. didn't deserve a Golden Globe nomination. But like, that's I could name twenty people uh, of whom that sentence applies, right? And so, but I think she had come close with Malkovich in '99, and then Vanilla Sky in '01, and then the Gangs of New York thing. And I think with both of those performances, people are like, "Oh, she deserved." Like Cameron Diaz missed it. But she really deserved it, and, you know, we think better of her for those performances. And then Gangs of New York happened, and they're like, no, bad, dumb. And that really kind of poisoned the well as far as Cameron Diaz possible Oscar nominee. And so, again, by the time In Her Shoes comes along, she's just a total afterthought. And then something like this, again, I think when people were talking about the Oscar chances for the holiday, which were, you know, on long lists. I don't think anybody at, uh, really had this as a major contender. Um, it was for Winslet. It was for Jude Law, mostly. I think even when they were talking about, like, oh, well, they get nominated for Golden Globe musical or comedy, it was mostly Winslet, I think, that was... I remember a few people when the movie was released is like, you know who's great in this movie is Eli Wallach. Yes, But it right. never really happened. But, like, Cameron Diaz is just like, she's not in the consideration in the conversation anymore. And really, we talked about The Counselor semi-recently. That was really the only other time in that whole, like, back half of her career that even for a little bit, people were like, Cameron Diaz, Oscar conversation, maybe? And it didn't last longer than however long it took for people to actually see that movie. But... Yeah. Um, and people were, of course, mean. Mean, yes. <laughs> afterwards. Yes. So, yeah, we've had the Cameron Diaz conversation in that Counselor episode when we talked about that, yeah. about how, you know... We wish her a happy retirement with her clean wine business, but we also miss her very much. May she hologram into the Drew Barrymore show whenever she wants to, um, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. What else? What else do we want to talk about? She's fine in this. Yeah. Uh, We should talk. We can talk about how Kate Winslet was actually nominated this year for Little Children, which I remember at the time her being the one that I was kind of rooting for. Um, I mean, like, partly this is when the narrative is setting in for her, and it's like she's just never in, like, a best picture frontrunner to get her there. And it's like almost like, did we maybe? missed the opportunity to with Titanic Um, also this is the year after the extras appearance where she's like (laughs) you know do a movie about the holocaust guaranteed to win an Oscar when's Winslet gonna win one yeah Um, interesting about the 2006 Oscar race though because that's one that got kind of became academic pretty quickly. I think once those precursors yep. started started happening and go went like so solidly to Mirren, everybody knew Mirren was going to win and nobody really I mean, nobody really wanted Mirren to win among the circles that I think you and I were traveling in, these sort of like Oscar obsessive, you know, uh message board sort of prediction sites or whatever. All of these kind of pre-Twitter Oscar circles that we were in, everybody who at up until that point had been like, up until that year had been like very pro Mirren 
in other things. And I think that year mm-hmm. everybody was just like, no. And so everybody kind of divided up, I think, into little camps. And you had the Merrill in Devil Wears Prada people. And you had the Winslet in Little Children people. I counted myself among the Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal people. And then there were definitely the Penelope Cruz in Volver people. And no one group, I feel like, had supremacy over the other. And I think it was, in general, a fairly polite year among those people towards each other. Everybody kind of sniped at the Queen most often. Um, but that's an incredibly strong lineup. And I think the fact that every single one of those nominees had people who were like passionate in their corner speaks really well of it. And also speaks to well, the fact and that this like, is why I wanted to bring this race up because my thought when I was sitting and thinking about it this morning is like, we talk so much about the like 2000 race, the O2 race where it's like yeah. flip a coin on any given day and you could feel mm-hmm. any different. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true for this lineup. Yes. And it's like Mirren is, clearly last place but it's not bad she's not it's bad not like you know no. it's not rami malik and bohemian rhapsody it's just like everybody loves other those other performances better yeah well but they're also interesting performances for each of those actresses like yes. careers and different from a lot of yep. their other work and like judy dench is the one where you kind of want to stick up for it the most because i think a, there's, like, the gay audience for that movie that loves it because, like, on a baseline level, that movie is camp trash, but Well, it's and also the fascinating thing about Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal is, up until that point, she had really become this, like, British period piece Oscar magnet, right? For a lot of, for sort of, yes. like, people who are looking at the the... Oscar nominees and the conversation sort of from the outside. And it's Shakespeare and, and love I think it's and taken Iris. a long time for people to realize that Notes on a Scandal yes. isn't that. If you didn't see Notes on a Scandal, if you just saw a trailer or a description of it or just the title, you would probably assume that it's... Stuffy British movie. Exactly. And so you sort of chalked it it's up really to not. yet another stuffy British movie that Judy Dench is in. And then... This is why I think it's the easiest thing in the world to tell who's actually seen Notes on a Scandal. Because if you've actually seen mm-hmm. it, you know how absolutely bonkers it is and how off the chain she is. And and good, though. But yes. Like it, oh, yeah. But it's also, it's Great. like nothing else she has in her career, yeah. that performance. But like, and maybe this is a little, like, gay echo chamber. But like, <laughs> that movie is becoming a cult classic. And maybe yeah. it's a queer cult classic but like, that's what we're here for that is what we're here for to create appreciation cult for that movie yeah no totally and then with like penelope cruz she had been like volver was kind of her comeback in terms of mm-hmm. after she had Talk sort of about somebody that people were very mean to <laughs> her career in the early in the early 2000s fizzled because she was sort of foisted upon the american public a little bit and there and it didn't really work in the movies she was in and so I think kind of very appropriately, she ends up getting back into the conversation when the Oscars start to become more friendly towards performances in foreign language movies. And she's like back with Almodovar again. So Mm -hmm. um, that was in the race this year. I hope that she actually gets nominated. It's my favorite performance of the year. Do you think she's I'm really worried she's going to be like sixth place. Seriously, dude, like. The amount of Oscar races that I'm like, somebody could just as easily, like, win as not get nominated. Yep. 
are crazy this year and I love it and I think people are like pulling their hair out in a way that like makes it seem like they hate it and I'm like no guys this is good this is fun we're gonna be frustrated yeah. but like good stuff will also happen but like I really want her... everything so unpredictable yeah. she deserves to win it's her best performance of her career it's a performance that made me realize like she's one of our greatest living and like never gets any credit for it plus like I don't know if I would say so she rewarding. never gets any credit for it like she's won an Oscar I don't think she's talked about in that way okay but like she's an oscar-winning actress you know what i mean i don't think she doesn't get any credit sure yeah. but like i don't know I, I i think it would also be rewarding and i think there's a narrative right there to yeah. like reward her for the partnership that she has had over her career with pedro almodovar giving her best performance in like what i think is one of the top tier of his movies um and also but like who could have also done it for Wolverine. Yeah. Um, best actress this year is crazy. I genuinely don't know who I could picture winning. I don't know who the front is. I think a lot is. of days I would pick Winslet, but like, I think if Meryl had won for The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, you're talking about 06. I was like, wait a second, what's happening now? Oh, this current year. Yeah. No, we can, we can keep talking about this current no, year. No, we don't necessarily want. have to. I'm just saying that, like, there's at this point. I think people are, like, thinking that Kristen Stewart is a given and I think that is at this stage naive given what that movie is. I do too but unless somebody becomes a real threat to her I think it should just like I think yeah. people This is the same thing with best it. actor too. Yeah. But I don't know. It'll be interesting and maybe we'll have some questions on it uh, on our mailbag episode. But yeah, no, let's dip back into 06 cuz you know we should. We could have saved ourselves so much if Meryl had won for the Devil Wears Prada. I know that's the thing. That's it the great. It feels like if. they weren't. Co- it felt like the nomination was the win in a weird way, even though you're talking about Meryl because, like, it was a summer most movie. Of the year, it was it was mm-hmm. so outside of Oscar genre. Yes, I think the fact that she ended up getting the nomination was initially people thought that it could be run in supporting. Mm-hmm. Well, like it, if Anne Hathaway like had was... gotten the kind of credit she deserved at that stage of her career, which she wasn't at right. that point, um, maybe they would have because they would have at least tried to campaign um, Anne Hathaway and lead. I like the way it shook out because this way we at least got that Emily Blunt Golden Globe nomination, which was so richly deserved. Um, and I think Critics' Choice, was she nominated at Critics' Choice? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Critics' um, Choice is, you know, chasing that Oscar dragon, so who knows. But like... Meryl's third Oscar could have been for one of her best performances and not her worst yeah. or one of her worst. Yeah. You know, maybe she doesn't get nominated for something like Into the Woods where who needs that? Well, you say that, but Into the Woods happened after her third Oscar also. So, <laughs> well, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, this is a good year. Yes. Flip a coin on any given day and I will give you a different answer it's a great on year. who I would vote for. I, I've stuck with Judy uh, pretty steadfastly, but... I also would have happily cast a vote for Meryl that year, knowing that, like, if it was more of a competition, I guess. Like, again, Mirren was winning that thing no matter what. But it did feel like Streep was, in many ways, running second place. Kate Winslet in uh, a Todd Field movie, and next year, uh, I... Listen, I'm, (laughs) I'm still hedging my bets that, like, I am being punked. But, Wait, talk to the listeners about the new Todd Field movie, because I don't know if they know about it. 
It is about, uh, it stars Kate Blanchett as a, it's a real life figure. She was a conductor, I believe. The movie is called Tar. That is the last name of the woman that she plays. Todd Field, for the past 15 years, has had so many announced projects. Yes. Many of them, which have been interesting and like have been ready to go and then fall apart. Todd Field from his first two features, did not amass a great reputation. Um, and of course, there's like a rumor mill. Not that he's like a bad person, but maybe an ego monster. Um, well, one of the interesting things about Todd Field and his ego was it did allow him to, from everything that I have read, kind of stand up to the Miramax machine a little bit for mm-hmm. In the Bedroom. And it really let him kind of stick to his guns on In the Bedroom a little bit more, and ultimately to all of our benefit with that movie. Um, But I imagine that, yeah, that would probably take a personality who has a healthy dose of ego to be able to do that for their debut film. So, yeah, In the Bedroom and Little Children are his two movies. We've been waiting fervently since Little Children for him to make another movie. And seems like we're getting one. It's listed as filming. It's done filming. Oh, it's done filming now. Yeah, it's listed on Apparently IMDb it's done. Filming. Okay. Um, Blanchett stays busy. Um, Kate Blanchett, because you so did yeah. initially say Kate Winslet, so I want to... Oh, I apologize. You know, I just talk, I talk faster than I... Or I think faster than I talk, yes. you know. Yes. Um, apologies for that. Uh, next year is going to be interesting, though, because, like, Todd Field, Cronenberg, there's a lot of people coming back that we haven't seen in a while. That's I'm going to probably go crazy. I, we're getting to that point now. It's early December. We're getting to the point where I'm going to have to start compiling my my spreadsheet for 2022, which is always an exciting time for me. So we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. <laughs> all right. Anything else we want to talk about with... I'm, I'm bringing up my little notes about the holiday. Oh, you wanted to holiday? talk about the stinkers, right? Uh, yeah, so we'll get there. First, we should mention uh, probably the weakest uh, MTV Movie Award Best Kiss lineup. Oh, the Holiday God. was nominated for Cameron Diaz and Jude Law for their chaste kissing. Uh, the winner <laughs> is Will Ferrell and Sasha Baron Cohen for Talladega Nights because isn't it so funny when men kiss? Funny men kiss, the other- yeah. If I had told you what these movies were, or if I had made you guess, it would have been the most diabolical thing. We would have been here for hours. The other nominees are Invincible, Little Man, and Stomp the Yard. Wait, Invincible, the Mark Wahlberg football movie? Yes. Who is he even kissing in that movie? Elizabeth Banks. Sure. All movies known for their passionate romances. Little Man about the little basketball man? Little Man as in the Wayans Brothers movie. Right, doesn't he play basketball Where one of them, I think, plays a baby. Yeah. I don't think it's a baby, a basketball movie. Oh, okay, I'm probably mixing it up. I think you're thinking of the Bow Wow movie. I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay. And then Stop the Yard, which is Columbus Short, I want to say? I believe. Um, but, like, that's a dancing movie, so you can understand that there would be a romance. Sure. Yes. But. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a a thin lineup. What else in 06 would we have put I in mean, there? Little Children. Not like the MTV <laughs> set was there, but, like, it's a hot movie. Give me one half a second to bring up the list of movies in 2006 because I want to. I want to help. Little Children is epic cinema for like upper butt 
on a man like Patrick Wilton. No man has ever been sexualized by another heterosexual man like Todd Field sexualizes Patrick Wilson You're not wrong. in Little Children. The like the most cinematic part on a man's body is the lower back upper butt region. I just um, want a clip of you saying upper butt to just like just deploy whenever I want it. I it's mean, a fun fine. phrase. You you get that section and apparently more, but I wasn't paying attention probably because I was writing Bradley Cooper upper yeah, butt. Yeah, Nightmare in Alley, you get his upper butt. In Nightmare Alley. Yep, yep. But like you do get Bradley Cooper's upper butt and apparently his dick. It's underwater and it's I would be very surprised if it was his actual dick, but screenshots will be out there and it's probably CGI. There's been a lot of sort of dick discussion in the Oscar conversation this year, and I I have a feeling that almost everything that we're seeing penis-wise in film uh, is probably a prosthetic this year, I'm just going to say. You think that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, which I've seen that movie multiple Maybe times, not Benedict I still Cumberbatch. can't see it. It's very, that is... Simon Rex isn't. That, uh, listen, you are well-educated enough to know Yeah, Simon Rex is the real deal. I don't know. It Simon looks, Rex is the only one that actually cuts to a shot of his penis. It looks really, it looks really long in Red Rocket. I don't know. I've, I've again, I've seen Simon Rex at work, uh, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sold. We'll see. I don't know. He has like zero percent body fat. 2006 really is kind of kiss light like i'm not seeing a whole ton well i mean also though there was no centrifugal motion you're not there was no perpetual bliss <laughs> Fuck off. you can't tell me that there wasn't a kiss and step up between channing tatum and jenna duan that wasn't worthy of a nomination there like come on mm. come on that was worthy what else is happening in 2006 um i mean obviously the wicker man um no what else <laughs> I'm going through. There's a whole movie called The Last Kiss. It's not a good movie, but you know, um, if you're going to nominate Jacinda Barrett Cinema, just classic Jacinda Barrett Cinema. Um, Also, good upper butt in that movie for Eric Christian Olsen. I'm just going to say, Um, uh, (laughs) that's another thing that I'm going to program when I open up my own movie theater is a a month of upper butt cinema. cinema. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have Little Children. We'll have Nightmare Alley. We'll have. Oh, there's plenty. Uh, probably Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. Probably. Probably. Almost Conceivable. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Conceivable upper butt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a genre. I mean, probably Magic Mike. But, like, in fairness, our cinema is going to be playing Magic Mike and XXL, you know. Constantly. In perpetuity. Right. We'll have one theater that just plays those two movies off and on and off and on yeah. the entire year. Um, also, I imagine there's a kiss in Casino Royale. It's a Bond movie. Like, Daniel Craig and Ava Green, like... That... It could also be the thing of like, but well, I guess Casino Royale would have fallen wherever the holiday did. But like MTV Movie Awards are always oh in the right, summer. that's right. It cuts the year in half. You never know. You never know. Okay. But like, who's even remembering Invincible a month after it opens? Besides, like someone's dad, Mark Wahlberg's dad. Yeah. Um, oh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's. I want to. I'm very uh, curious what you want to say about the stinkers. Okay, so the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. I have no idea where uh, this uh, group originated. The wannabe like, Razzies. They're an alternate to the Razzies yeah. where they're doing actual fun things to dump on movies and they're not just like hating Kim Kardashian. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, they did in this year, if you can imagine, there were enough Christmas movies for them to have a worst Christmas film 
category where they nominated the holiday. My good friend, I am going to charge you. I will I will give you hints to push you along if you can guess their other nominated films and their winner. So this would be 2000 Christmas theme. 2006. Or 2006, rather. Okay. What were the Christmas movies? See if you can name any off the top of your head that are correct, and then I'm going to help you along film by film. All right. Oh, six. There wasn't any Christmas content in The Fountain. Um, These are all explicitly Christmas movies. Four Christmases wasn't that year, was it? Uh, if it was, it was not nominated. I think it was later. I think it was later as well. Um, and Christmas with the Cranks, I think, was sooner than that. Maybe. Or is it that year? Is it Christmas with the Cranks? Incorrect. Not Christmas with the Cranks. I think you're right that it's sooner. So I'm going to help you along. Okay. Okay. One of these is a franchise. Oh. Very cursed poster. <laughs> the Santa Claus? Is it a Santa Claus movie? Yes. Which one? Three? Santa Claus 3, The Escape, the Escape Clause, with Clause. Martin Short as whatever character he's playing. Jack Frost or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So that's one. Three to go? Uh, yes. The next one uh, is a remake. Um, a remake. One of many remakes of this movie. Oh, or multiple, multiple. I think there's how many are there? I think there might be three at this point, but there's definitely two. Um, Christmas Carol. No, not a Scrooge, not a Christmas Carol. Okay. Uh, think a different type of genre for a Christmas movie. Oh. Oh, horror? Is it Black Christmas? It is the Black Christmas remake. I think they've done two remakes of Black Christmas, and also one remake of Sorority Row is maybe what you're thinking of. Oh, interesting. This is the one with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston. Right. The one I have not seen. I've seen the most recent one, but I've not seen that Black Christmas. Black Christmas, the original, is one of the great horror movies I've ever seen. It's oh so my good. god, truly one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. It's fantastic. Highly recommend Just like, uh, the, the the type of, uh, uh, like, guts in that movie to just, like, leave you feeling incredibly awful. Yep. And watch it at Halloween terrifying. time, watch it at Christmas time, you have your, you have two annual Watch viewings. it alone. Yes. <laughs> because if you want to be scared out of your mind with that movie, watch it alone. A++. Um, also, like, iconic, uh, Andrea Martin cinema. Andrea Martin plays one of oh, the, yeah. one of the uh, girls. Obviously, Margot Kidder rules in that movie. Yeah. All right. Next movie is not Christmas with the Cranks, but feels Christmas with the Cranks adjacent. Um, is it the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Jingle All the Way? Is that what that's called? Jingle All the Way is from the 90s, then my it's dude. something else. That's what I think of, though, is that genre is like... Oh. I'm going to look this up if this was also a ra- It was a Razzie nominee for Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, and Worst Excuse for Family Entertainment. Wow. Oh, wait. It's it's not the Schwarzenegger one. I literally thought Schwarzenegger because I was thinking I got my twins uh, lines crossed. It's Danny DeVito, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, it's weird Named that they after both a Christmas have Carol bad Christmas movies. Song. Named after a Christmas Carol song. Yes. 
Not Silent Night. Not Joy to the World. It might help you along to say that the plot is like dueling neighbors who want to do like yeah. Christmas decorations. Right. It's like on him and house. like, is it Matthew Broderick or someone? It is Matthew Broderick. Deck who, the Halls. It's Deck the Halls. Deck the Halls, yeah. which like, I'll watch this stupid movie. It's, I, I have fun with it. Yeah. Um, Matthew Broderick is married to Kristen Davis in this And movie. she got the worst supporting actress nomination? No. Danny DeVito's uh, co star who plays his wife, Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, wow. Oh, you know what? Okay, here's why this movie, here's why I was able to come up with that movie in even a little bit of timeliness. This was the movie he was promoting when he showed up on The View, still drunk from the night before, from drinking limoncellos with George Clooney. Because he starts to try and describe the plot of this movie, and he just gets absolutely lost in the weeds. We talked about it on uh, on The View podcast that I do for Primetime, or semi-recently. I should have come up with it sooner. I will try to find the clip, and I will post it to the top. Oh, it's a whole adventure. It's a whole-ass adventure. Deck, yeah. Deck the Halls. It's a wonderful movie. It's in theaters now, and we are hoping that you all will go see it this weekend. I saw it. It's funny. It's funny. You guys are funny. funny. Very funny. funny. Thank you. With lighting up your house and getting... Yes. Well, I find... I find... Am I... Now... Well, my kids, uh, I've always decorated, my mother decorated, put the little lights in the windows, and then we had the tree, and then you get a little lights left over, you put them around the banister, and then you go outside, you put a few, Yeah. and then you keep putting, and every year you had a few lights, somebody bring lights over, and they would get little, it would sprawl a little bit, but this character in Deck the Halls, he is, um, his two daughters see that he cannot see his house is the only one on the block you can't see from space. Yeah. You know how you can look at the yeah, thing? Google Earth. Yeah, That's you right. look at it. Yeah. And he sees the neighbor's house. Mm. Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all like really nice and white and this and that. My house looks like it's like, you know, ugly. Yeah. So I get an idea to put, and it's Christmas time, you know, holiday season. I get the idea to put the lights on and I put Every available light from the town, from the next town, from the next town. I find horses. I put them in oh, front of the house. Don't tell them the whole movie. Don't tell them the whole movie. Yeah. 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 All right. One more. One more. I saved the winner for last. Uh, I was worried when you that I would spoil the quiz because when you brought up the box office of the holiday. Uh-huh. This movie also opened the weekend of Bling Bang and the Holiday. <laughs> um, but was not obviously in the top ten. It was in the top ten. Oh, it was? It was like eight. Oh, six. Oh, God, is it the Nativity Story? No, that didn't make any money. No. Was that oh, six? That was later. That was later. Okay. Because that oh uh, six would only be three years removed from Whale Rider. She was still incredibly young. That was the whole thing. It was like she played. She the... was sixteen, right? So it would have been around that time. Well, whatever. It's not the right answer. Okay. No. <sighs> Who? Uh... I can't really help you out with this cast because. Uh, let me just give you some names: Wilmer Valderrama, unaccompanied minors, unaccompanied minors. Yeah. There you go. Totally forgot about that movie. That movie, like, yeah, it made some money, I feel like. But yeah, people hated it. No, it didn't make a ton of money. Uh, Never mind. Also starring, rest in peace, Jessica Walter. Oh. Paul Feig, right? 
Yes, a Paul Feig movie. The worst movie. Paul Feig movie. Yeah, that's too bad. Wow. All right. All right, stinkers. You got me on that one. Any last notes on the holiday before we move into the IMDb game? I mean, I do uh, cherish Cameron Diaz's house and business, and then she ends up with Jude Law at the end, too. So, like, really, she's of... If you're picking, like, top five movie characters you would like to actually step into their lives, like, she's not a bad one, honestly. She's doing all right. I mean, as far as, like... Nancy Myers aspirational lifestyle movies. This feels like oh, that's what I wanted the to pinnacle say. of that. I I did want because, to say like yes. Sorry, finish your thought. It's all jobs that like sound cool yep. and sound like they pay you a lot of money, yep. even if they are not and do not. But like, yeah. you don't actually ever know what actually goes into that type of work. Yeah. It's book editor lifestyle journalist film composer i make movie trailers yes no it's it's very she's giving it's a fantasy and i appreciate her for that i think one of the things i I do too i was gonna say though nancy myers gets a lot of shit for like essentially making like kitchen cinema right and you know all the stuff about you know the wealth of her characters and the the whole it's complicated kitchen renovations and yada 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 um, I think the thing that people sort of miss in that conversation is Nancy Myers has a really good understanding of the way that where you are, like the that setting can contribute to character and can contribute to the story so much. I think the holiday, so much of the holiday is this idea that like, just put me in a whole other milieu, right? Put me in a whole other setting and let me... Get me me entirely out of my own life. Right, get me out of my life and how much where you are and where you're hanging your hat at the moment means to that. About, like, it's as, you know, as somebody of needed to find a new apartment this fall experience, um, it's contributes a lot to your psyche and your sense of well-being and everything like that as someone who has spent the pandemic living in a studio with their spouse (laughs) right exactly yes (laughs) correct exactly so i relatable i think there's another way to look at nancy myers rather than just sort of this like parade of of kitchen excess or whatever it's she understands that and again, she's coming from her own perspective, who's lived a certain life. But, and also, like, her mom was an interior decorator, uh, which is the thing that I learned when I was looking her up today. And, like, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, too. But just, like, this idea of making your home in a way that will sort of enhance your mood or contribute to your, you know, sense of self. It This movie gets to that in a way that I think is you know, worth mentioning. Jude Law plays a human scarf. (laughs) This is a movie that thinks Jack Black isn't hot, and he is, and that's one of my problems with it. I don't... All right. I I do like when Kate Winslet throws her arms in the air in triumph in any movie. I don't think this movie doesn't think Jack Black is hot. I don't... I think this movie intentionally wants us to think that he's a schlub. And I'm like, but Jack Black's hot. 
But there's no point in which Kate Winslet is like, oh, I never considered him as a romantic partner because of the way he looks. Or anything. Their like, chemistry is weird. It's a weird chemistry, but I don't think that the movie as conceived ever rules him out as a romantic interest. Like, he's a romantic interest to her right from the beginning. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Anyway. I'm surprised we disagree anyway, as should... much about this movie as we do. When we both we still kind that of like much. It. No, but I think for us both Our thoughts are all movie, adjacent to each other. Sure. Well, perpendicular at times. But anyway, yes. Anyway, should we move on to the IMDb game? Let's. And would you like to explain that to our lovely listeners? Oh, right. I should do that this week. All right. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. Ta-da. Would you like to give her guess first? Why don't I guess first? All right, cool. Uh, so we talked about the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, and we talked about the motion picture Deck the Halls, which stars none other than Matthew Broderick. For you, I have chosen Matthew Broderick. Okay, this is good. Well, obviously, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of them. Correct. Could you imagine? I could not. I'm going to hope that election is one of them. Correct. All right. Now, where do we go? All right. I have a feeling it's going to be like one older one and one newer one. And I really hope one of them's not like Inspector Gadget or something. Um, I'm going to guess War Games. War Games, Joe, <gasps> you have a trend of getting the first three correct with no wrong guesses. And then falling guesses. fully you apart. One, and you have not gotten a perfect score. You uh, Maybe it's my fault for constantly bringing this to your attention. Yeah, you tend to do that. But as a Christmas miracle, <laughs> I would like you to get this correctly. All right. I'm just going to... No pressure. I, thank you. Um, or to get this correct. I'm famously not good at talking. There's one... Good thing I host a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's one sort of like modern adult Broderick movie. Oh, wait. Big pressure. Is it the producers? Is that your guess? Yes. Congratulations. You got a perfect score. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Christmas is real. Santa yeah. is real. <laughs> I knew there was something that was modern that was big for him that like, okay, yes, exactly. Santa is going to climb down the chimney and bring <laughs> you a um, a uh, producer's DVD. Oh, I, thank you. Thank, thank you with a question mark, Santa. Okay. <laughs> we should do that. We got to do that movie at some point. I know. It's just we really we're going to run out of musicals. I know, but ultimately, like, we got to pull the trigger on it. All right. Anyway, Chris, I, for Christmas, am going to give you a little bit of a choice. There is, I have two options, one of which is slightly too easy and one of which is slightly too hard. Is it Denise Richards because she plays Christmas whatever in the James Bond movie? No, it's not. Which one, Uh, though? Would you like slightly too easy or slightly too hard? I mean, you got a perfect score, so let's go slightly too hard. Okay. 
slightly too hard. Let's All right. Make it interesting today. Um, and then if, you know, when we're done, I want to give you the slightly too easy one anyway. We'll, we'll maybe do that. But anyway, uh, because this is our Christmas episode, I wanted to do something related to a Christmas movie. And the one I watched last weekend that I thought was perfectly good for what I wanted it to be was the Netflix Christmas movie Single All the Way, starring my beloved Michael Yuri, that also starred, among some other people, one of an actress who was like having a year of it and and we love to see it and that is uh Ms. Jennifer Coolidge and uh. so Jennifer Coolidge has a known for where one is a voice performance and there are no television shows no television shows that's not a surprise white lotus is too new yeah and it's like only one season so far yeah uh ooh the voice performance is what's going to throw me off I will say there are two of these that I expect you will probably get, and two of these I don't expect you to get. <laughs> so right, we'll one of them is Legally Blonde. Surprisingly, no. Oh my god! Right, right. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. This is gonna. I should have known that Legally Blonde wouldn't be on there if it's slightly too hard. Yeah. Um. The other one, American Pie. Yes, American Pie oh, is one of them. God. Um, nobody remembers her as Stifler's mom. Yeah, they do. Just not us. Straight people. Straight, straight people. men. Straight people. Who cares what they think? Yeah, well, they exist. Ugh. Apologies to any straight male <laughs> listeners that I've offended. I feel like if you're straight and male and you listen to this podcast, you probably don't care about the American Pie movie, so I probably didn't offend you, but I apologize. Uh, Christmas is about forgiveness. Um, <laughs> Famously, Christmas is about forgiveness. Um, specifically to me. Um, right. Forgiving me. Yeah, Christmas is about forgiving Chris File, so yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for um, whatever. For whatever. Um, best in show. No. All right, so your years are going to be 2003, 2004, and 2005. 2003 is A Mighty Wind. Yes. So, yeah, it was either going to be Best in Show or A Mighty Wind. Obviously, thank God for A Mighty Wind, because without uh, A Mighty Wind, we wouldn't have the idea for uh, The Big Wind. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Her greatest line. If it wasn't for The Mighty Wind, we wouldn't have thought of The Light Wind. Yeah. We gotta put that clip in at some in this podcast. I don't think we've done it yet. The 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 big trains. Uh, my favorite. The favorite. Movie. My the funniest line. The, the most I've ever line laughed in any Christopher Guest movie. It's the most I've ever laughed in a movie ever. Was seeing was uh, seeing a mighty wind in the theater and the the big trains line. I I missed the next five minutes of that movie. Just like laughing so hard. I'm a model train enthusiast. Oh, that's great. Yes, I've got a whole layout in my basement. It's very much a big passion for me. Yes. Yeah, thank God for model trains. Oh, absolutely. You know, if they didn't have the model train, they wouldn't have gotten the idea for the big trains. Well, and then when uh, Bob Balaban has a thing like, everybody in the room hum for dad. Yeah, and she's and humming with her mouth humming, open. She's like open mouth breathing. It's great. <laughs> She's so great. Oh, my God. All right. Anyway. All right. So you have two of four. So, all right. So We work very well together. Sometimes it's like there is one brain between us. 
All right. Spectacular. Um, so, okay, what were my years again? 04 and 05, one of which is an animated movie. Your non-animated movie stars uh, someone who was sort of transitioning out of TV at the time. Mm. Um, it is uh, a movie Not for like you? a friend. No, um, more cable than that, and more uh, young than that. Oh, like a Disney Channel star. Hilary Duff. A Cinderella story. There you go. A Cinderella story, which I've never seen, but apparently she's Which in. Which year was those? That was 04. That was 04. So 05 is the animated one. Uh-huh. An animated oh, movie I have never seen. Um, I'm trying to look at the poster to see what studio it came from. Um... Oh, I think it's Fox. Oh boy, is I it an Ice it, Age movie? It is not, but it is says it's from the creators of Ice Age. Uh, is it robots? Yes. How do you remember robots? Because that was like the other non Ice Age movie from the Ice Age. People. You could have given me a hundred years, and I would have never come up with robots as a movie. I've never seen robots either. I just know it as an entity. Jennifer Coolidge voices a character named Aunt Fanny in Robots. So there is that. Yes. Gay people, do what you got to do. Other actors. This cannot stand. This is a Christmas nightmare. This is like. This is the family strata all over ourselves (laughs) on the floor. This is a catastrophe. I need you to listen. Jennifer Coolidge is known for cannot stand. The Robots voice cast. Uh, includes Ewan McGregor, Halle New, Berry. the headliner. Halle Berry. Yeah, Ewan McGregor as Rodney Copperbottom. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Halle cool. Berry, Mel Brooks, Robin Williams, Paula Abdul, Jim Broadbent, Terry Bradshaw, Amanda Bynes, Drew Carey, uh, Dan Hedaya, Paul Giamatti, and uh, and of course the great Jennifer Coolidge. This is the this is like the era when studios had to discover you know nobody shows up to an animated movie just because there's famous voice people. Yes. like you gotta have good voice people. Um, you Even did better. So, that's not gonna draw an audience. No, that that has a lot of good uh, voice people. I think you're right. Mel Brooks and 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 Paul Giamatti, Dan Hedaya, those are good voices. Robin Williams, obviously, yeah. Maybe not you and McGregor, but whatever. You can't have everything. Um, right. You did better at that than I thought you would, so I'm going to save the too easy one for maybe another day. Thank you. I think I've earned it. Yes, I think so, too. All right. Well done. Fantastic. Joe, Merry yes. Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas. I know, I know. Here's to seeing each other in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Here's to not hitting three years of not seeing Ugh, each other. If, it, if our podcast is basically as long as the time that it's been since we've seen each other i'm going to well yeah. i guess that's always but you know <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm you know, know what i'm you trying mean. to say again i'm not good at speaking and that's our episode uh merry christmas if you guys celebrate thanks so much for sticking with us if you want more of this at oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this oscarbuzz.tumblr.com you should also follow us on twitter at had underscore oscar underscore buzz we'll be back next week with our mailbag episode <laughs> uh joe Tell our lovely listeners uh, where they can find you. Sure. I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I I am on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. 
I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Kevin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so hum us your favorite film scores in the form of a nice review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz and the Mailbag. Bye!